So, as usual, let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. <coughs> let's begin. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato ahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato ahato samma sambuddhassa today it's the third day into our retreat the third day of practicing metta meditation and so in tonight's talk I will again talk about some aspects of metta and our metta meditation practice so first of all (coughs) I will talk about the spirit of metta And then I will say a few words about metta as a relational practice. And then the big bulk of this talk deals with the fact that metta must be expressed in deed, speech and thoughts. I have already mentioned that Sayadaw Oindaka has written a book on the practice of metta meditation as the foundation for vipassana meditation. As I said, the book was printed on a dana basis and so all the physical books uh, have gone. But at the end of the retreat, I will give you some information and also where this book can be downloaded on the internet. And so in this book, Sayado Oindaka describes the spirit of metta in the following way. The spirit of metta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. It is never a wish for anything that is not beneficial. In the spirit of metta, We always work for the benefit of other living beings. We never work to create unwholesome results or to inflict suffering. The spirit of metta is always and forever peaceful and cool. It never burns. The spirit of metta is always loving-kindness. It never turns to hatred. The spirit of metta is always soft, gentle and subtle. It is never rough and harsh. The spirit of metta sees and looks at the good side. It does not look for faults or shortcomings. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It is not oppressive or controlling. The spirit of metta works only for the benefit of others. It doesn't work for our own selfish benefit. The spirit of metta is free from entanglement. There is always independence. I think it is very important to note that with the practice of loving-kindness we do not approve of unwholesome deeds that somebody has done to us or to others. When somebody has, for example, emotionally hurt us or even inflicted physical 
suffering, then we do not approve and say that this action was right or uh, justified. However, when we dwell with a heart full of metta, we simply try to not fall into the habitual reaction of anger or blame. It also does not mean, like when we dwell in metta, it does not mean that we do not take action. It doesn't mean that we stay completely passive. It only means that our actions of body and speech are not based on dosa, any forms of anger, aversion, hatred, and not based on loba, any form of uh, greed or attachment. With metta, when our heart dwells in metta, then we can actually see more clearly because we are not caught in the trap of anger, aversion. So with metta, we just try to see this other person as another living being who also wants happiness. As we know, pure and genuine metta is not dependent on any conditions. Therefore, it is also called unconditional love. Metta does not select beings according to what they do or what they don't do. Metta does not uh, expect anything in return. So our ability to be loving and kind must be truly unconditional, must be truly limitless and boundless. But if we need to set boundaries, then we should set boundaries. We should not be overrun by others or we should not be exploited by others. But when we set boundaries, when we do say something, when we do something, can we do it without resorting to anger or aversion? Can we do it, can our actions, physical actions and our speech be free from any forms of dosa, anger, ill will, enmity? Can our actions of body and speech be free from any kinds of loba, desire, attachment, craving? Can it be free from any of the defilements? So on the base of this metta attitude or a heart full of loving-kindness, then we naturally refrain from actions of body and speech which inflict suffering or which cause harm. So metta is this great power of the heart and mind to stay connected and present with ourselves and others, to stay present with this benevolent attitude in regard to all living beings, ourselves included. Mahatma Gandhi called this the most powerful and the most subtle force in the universe. In describing his own spiritual unfolding, Mahatma Gandhi had said, I hold myself to be incapable of hating any being on earth. By a long course of 
prayerful discipline, I have ceased for over 40 years to hate anybody. I know this is a big claim. Nevertheless, I make it in all humility. So as we know, the practice of metta, metta meditation, deals with living beings. And as you know, the classical definition of metta, this is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. And also the other three Brahma Viharas, they deal with living beings, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. So they too, they are also relational practices. So they all deal with living beings or the relation we have with these other living beings. So metta, loving kindness, is always relational. It's an attitude that relates to beings, a relation with ourselves, a relation with others. In the systematic practice of metta meditation, we start with ourselves and then we go through different category categories of persons. As you know, then a benefactor, then a dear person or a close friend, then a neutral person, and then the category of a disliked person or an enemy or a person we have difficulty with. And then from there we can open up to other beings, for example, groups of beings, such as our family, the other meditators here at the meditation center, or colleagues at work, or it can be all female beings, or all male beings, and so on. Or we can uh, cultivate metta in the different directions, beings in the north, beings in the east, the south, the west, or in the directions between northeast, southwest, and so on, or the direction above us, the direction below us. And then lastly, we open up to include all living beings, wherever they are. So in this way, there is always a relationship to these beings. It's always relational. The Buddha didn't get higher to say how beneficial a meta, meta attitude is and how beneficial it is to be kind, to be friendly, to be loving. And even if it is just for one moment. You may remember the passage I read two days ago in the talk. If one shows kindness with a clear mind for all living creatures, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So as I've said, you know, each moment of dwelling with a heart full of metta counts. It makes a difference because in that very moment any form of anger, hatred, enmity is absent and likewise any form of craving, 
desire, greed, attachment is absent as well. And this is a very powerful state of mind, state of heart. In regard to metta, we can distinguish three levels. And the three levels of metta are metta expressed in physical actions, metta um, in the body, and in Pali this is called kaya kama metta. The second level is metta expressed by speech, metta in words, and in Pali this is called vachi kama metta. And the third level is metta in expressed by thoughts, and this is called manu kama metta. In our metta meditation practice here, now, during this retreat, we develop metta, loving-kindness, in our heart and mind. This means that we develop loving-kindness on the mental level, and we do so with the help of the metta-wishes, of the metta-phrases. And so, by doing this practice, by engaging in the cultivation of loving-kindness the, on the mental level, we, we make this quality of metta um, strong and powerful. We strengthen it by repeatedly uh, engaging in this practice. And by repeatedly doing it, we make it a new habit. We make it a new habit so that the natural tendency of the heart and mind is to dwell in metta and not in anger, aversion or hatred or all the other unwholesome mental states. So, the loving-kindness in our heart and mind must translate into metta-infused actions, physical actions. So we must, or we should, manifest this gentle, friendly and loving attitude in each of our physical actions. A meditator who did the Metta retreat in Burma earlier this year said in one of her interviews that her Metta had become quite strong and firm. And she tried to explain that this strong Metta was actually quite gentle and soft. She said, that her metta was just this gentleness. And then she added that it was like having round edges. Yes, and this gentleness, this metta, then naturally manifests in gentle and soft metta actions. It also manifests in soft and gentle metta-speech. However, and I think this is very important to understand, this gentleness or this softness does not mean weakness. Not at all. It's a gentle but a very firm power. The baseline of being a decent and kind human being 
is that we do not want to cause harm or suffering to other people, to other living beings. We do not want to cause the slightest irritations uh, to others. So for example, here you are in a meditation center and you practice meditation, metta meditation uh, for the time being. One disturbance that very often causes irritation or at times even great anger to arise to the yogis, this is noise. Be it noise from, from fellow meditators or be it noise from the environment. And you all, you all know from your own practice, from your own um, experience, how much noise can be disturbing, how much it can cause irritation, how much it can cause ill will or even strong anger to arise. And so, in the spirit of metta, we can try to move around with make, without making any noise, or at least to make as little noise as possible. So, moving around quietly and not making much noise is actually a manifestation of your metta in action, in a physical action. And so with this, uh, you show uh, that you care for the welfare uh, of the others. It shows your concern um, of, shows your concern for the other meditators, that you do not want uh, to disturb them in any way. You know, seen from a vipassana meditation perspective, noise is simply noise. And one should be mindful of the fact that one is hearing some sound, or mindful of noting the anger or the irritation that arises. But here we practice metta meditation. And also, in the outside world, we cannot expect everybody to be a vipassana meditator and therefore think everybody should, should simply be mindful of the noise, of the hearing. Sometimes, some inconsiderate behavior is simply a side effect of any kind of concentration practice, samatha practice. And as you know, metta meditation is one kind of samatha uh, meditation. So when one engages in a samatha meditation concentration practice, then it can easily happen that one is completely absorbed in the object of one's meditation to the point where one is no longer aware of one's actions and the impact that one's actions have. For example, you know, here doing metta, um, for example, one is in the dining hall um, during a meal and cultivating metta for all living beings. For example, may all living beings be well, happy and peaceful. May all living beings be well, happy and peaceful. And so, as one is cultivating the metta, really wishing that all beings be happy 
and peaceful, but really not being aware that um, that the noise from putting the plates and the cutlery down on the table is making much noise to the meditator right next to oneself. So when we engage in metta meditation practice, we must develop both, namely the quality of metta, the loving kindness, the friendliness, but we should also be aware of the space within which we cultivate loving kindness. This means to be aware if other persons are <coughs> around and then change <coughs> one's behavior accordingly. In the Metta Sutta, it says we have this passage whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the divine abiding. So if we want Metta to become a divine abiding, a Brahma-vihara, then we must embody this friendly, loving and gentle metta-attitude all the time. We must embody it under all circumstances, in all different places and in all different postures, sitting, walking, lying or standing. Here I want to relate an example of an ordinary person who expressed his kindness in a physical action. And this manifestation of metta in a physical action had a tremendous impact. It's a story that a meditator told me some years ago in a retreat in Ireland. So this meditator, his name was Tom. He and his brothers were visiting his parents who had a house in um, in a ski resort in Switzerland. And they had made it a habit that the whole family would meet once a year to spend some time together. And so it was winter time, uh, there was a lot of snow, and it was a beautiful day. So in the morning they decided that they would go out skiing. Now, Tom, there was um, uh, an extra pair of ski in the basement, but he needed to fix his ski boots to the skis. So, and Tom's brother, he needed to get something in the village. So the father took Tom and his brother in the car into the village, dropped Tom at the shop, or his boots could be fixed to the skis and took his brother to another shop where he could get what he wanted. And they said that they would meet at the corner of the pharmacy. Now it took much, much longer to fit Tom's ski boots to his skis than what he thought. The father had been driving around, didn't find Tom. And when Tom had finally finished, he realized that he had forgotten his ski pass in the, in the flat at home. So he took the local bus and went home. 
to get his skippers. The father and his brother, not finding him, thought maybe he has gone back home. So they also uh, went back home. And there the father met Tom. And the father was furious. He was so angry at Tom that it took such a long time and half of the morning had already gone and they could be up uh, in the sun and be skiing. So he was really angry at Tom. And at that time there were no uh, mobile phones yet, so they could not contact each other. So the father was just airing his frustration at Tom. And Tom, being a meditator and understanding that reacting with anger was, no, was not beneficial, he tried to stay calm and not say anything. And the father went on and on and on. And so finally Tom went into the kitchen. He wanted to get away from his angry father. But the father followed him into the kitchen. And then what Tom did next was completely unexpected and surprising. He simply went up to his father and gave him a big loving hug. And the father, completely taken by surprise, he just dropped his anger. Everything was fine. They went out to the lifts and they had a wonderful day skiing together. So Tom had really taken the teachings to heart. He had tried not to fall into the trap of also reacting with anger, but to keep his heart open, to keep it filled with metta for his father. Or here is another wonderful story of uh, a meta action. And it's the story of a policeman in Switzerland. And this happened in a small town called Alton. And it has happened quite many years ago. So this policeman, one day he saw that in the old center, a historic center of Alton, on the place around the church, a car was wrongly parked. It was an old car, but it was parked in the wrong place, so he had to pay uh, to write a fine. And so he took his book out and started to fill in the fine, the form, and then tucked the fine under the wiper. It was done like this uh, in those times. And as he was doing this, he saw from across the place, uh, on the other side of the street, um, a woman with three children, small children, came out of a shoe shop. It was a shoe shop which had kind of cheap shoes and at the same time uh, they were on sales. And so he noticed this woman with the three small children coming out of that shop uh, carrying two big bags um, with the, the, the label of the shoe shop on it so he assumed that she went there to get some cheap shoes for her, chi uh, for her children. And from the distance he saw that they must be quite poor. The kids' clothes were worn, the woman's hair was untidy. And so he realized that probably she wouldn't have the money to pay the fine. And being taken by that, he quickly took the fine from under the viper, put it into his pocket, 
and walked away, hoping that the woman would not see him. And because he had written this fine, he could not simply throw it away. And so therefore, he took it, went to the post office, and paid it himself. So, meta-infused actions. They are manifold. We can express our metta through our actions of the body in so many different ways. And they can be small actions, they can be big actions, and also the small actions, they count. You know, it can be a small action like holding the door open for somebody following behind you. Or it can be carrying the heavy bags of your elderly neighbor up into the third floor. Or it can be that we mindfully and gently put our cup on the table. So in the same way as our physical actions should be imbued with metta, so should our speech be imbued with metta. That's the second level um, of metta, metta expressed by speech. And so metta speech, this is First of all, using speech that is true and beneficial. And this was the Buddha's basic baseline in regard to speech. So whatever we say should be true and beneficial. Metta speech, that's also using speech which is free from aversion, from hatred, from irritation, or frustration. Meta-speech is using speech that is sweet, beneficial, and pleasing to hear, like the line that we have chanted this afternoon in this meta-chant, meta indeed, speech and thought. Or meta-speech is also using speech that conduces to understanding, to harmony, or to unity, and that conduces to a peaceful living together. We know that our speech and our words can have a tremendous impact on others, but also on ourselves. But because we speak so much in every in our everyday lives, and because it is such a habitual action, we normally do not pay so much attention to our speech. And as a result, we are often not aware that our words cause irritation or sometimes even cause uh, strong anger to arise. And here is an example of an Israeli meditator in Jerusalem. She had made it an essential practice to use her speech in a way that does not add more harm and more hate to the world. Apparently, it doesn't snow very often in Jerusalem, but when it does, then it slows down everything. Then uh, it becomes a little chaos. And so one day, when it had snowed uh, during the night, this meditator 
didn't get the newspaper in the morning, like a newspaper delivered to her place. She wanted to know whether the newspaper would be delivered on that day or not, and so she called the company to find out. The person at that company who answered the phone said that she, this meditator, was the first person on the phone this morning who was not angry. Then this meditator told the woman on the phone that she had made a commitment to not add any more hate to the world. There was already enough. Isn't this beautiful? If we could remember that. At one time, the Buddha told Venerable Ananda, who was his assistant, that bodily acts of loving-kindness create love and respect, and that they conduce to cohesion, to non-dispute, concord, and unity. And likewise, the Buddha said, verbal acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. And also, the Buddha said, mental acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. So if the heart and the mind is full of metta, full of loving-kindness, then the actions of body and speech will also be infused with metta. Then they will become metta actions. They will become metta speech. Now the third level of metta, metta expressed by thoughts. In Pali, this is manokama metta. You know, we cannot see or touch or smell another person's metta in their heart and mind. We cannot see, touch or smell it on the mental level. But all the same, it's a tremendous force. It's a great power. It's a force that has such a great capacity for transformation force that can have such great impact on living beings, be the human, animals, or any other kind of living being. And so here is a story um, which illustrates this uh, great power of uh, meta on the mental level. It's about a Burmese monk who lived in the last century before the Second World War. And this monk was called Usila. And he used to live to dwell in forest monasteries. And at that time in Burma, these forest monasteries were really uh, forest monasteries, deep in the forest, deep in the jungle. And in one such forest monastery where Usila lived, it was near Pako, which is southeast from Yangon. And Usila practiced a lot of meditation and he laid or he practiced a lot of metta meditation 
So while he was staying in one of these uh, forest monasteries, really out in the jungle, he had a little hut in which he lived. Like this hut was on the monastery grounds, but away from the main building. And it was a little hut made of bamboo and built off the ground. So uh, the floor was maybe one and a half meters off the ground, which meant that there was a space below the hut where one could uh, sit. And so <coughs> uh, Usila, he lived in this hut and he had a lay attendant staying with him, a layman. And at night, both of them would sleep inside the hut and usually a big tiger came and spent the night below the hut, like under, under the hut. But this tiger never attacked Osila or his attendant. One morning, it was during the cold season, when the nights and the mornings uh, were quite cold, the, the, the man was sitting under the hut, making a fire to warm himself. And Osila, the monk, was still uh, inside the hut, was meditating there. And as the man was sitting near his fire, uh, warming himself, the tiger came. The tiger also decided to come near the fire and warm himself. So he came, curled up, lay down and stayed there. As it was daylight, the attendant wasn't afraid of the tiger. They had met each other many times before, so that wasn't a problem. So as the tiger uh, became tired, then he yawned. And as soon as the attendant saw its huge open mouth, he instantly imagined what would happen if he threw a large piece of the burning wood into the tiger's mouth. And as soon as this unwholesome thought arose in, the, in his mind, the tiger started to roar, a loud and frightening roar. And we must remember, the, um, the piece of burning wood was not yet thrown into the tiger's mouth. It was only a thought. So when the monk, Usila, heard the loud roar of the tiger, he called, Attendant, pay attention to your thoughts. It seems that you have directed a harmful thought uh, to the tiger. After this rem reprimand, the man realized what he had done, what he had thought, and so he also started to practice metta for the tiger. And as a result, the tiger went back to sleep and then slept as usually he did. So metta, metta as this kind, friendly, benevolent and loving attitude must be cultivated and manifested on all three levels. Metta in deed, metta in speech and metta in <coughs> thoughts. Even if one were to attain the highest jhana that is possible with metta meditation, this would not yet be enough. With this, the practice would not yet be complete. Only when the metta shines forth from our whole being, 
in all situations, in all circumstances, at all times, only then can we say that our metta practice is complete, that it is perfected. I will end this talk with a quote from Acharya Buddharakita. He was an Indian monk and he was a prolific uh, writer. He only died five years ago. Before he became a monk, he was an engineer. He joined the Indian army during the Second World War, but then he became a monk when he was 26 years old. And it was Acharya Buddharakita who established the Mahabodhi Society in Bangalore. Maybe you have heard of this. So anyway, he has said, if the quality of metta is sufficiently cultivated through metta bhavana, the meditation on universal love, the result is the acquisition of a tremendous inner power which protects and heals both oneself and others. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. May we all acquire this tremendous inner power of metta and may this metta be the base for our complete liberation. I thank you for your kind attention. Sadhu, sadhu.